This is Charlotte Laws, author of Rebel in High Heels. And I don't really listen to I Doubt It with Dalamar because I would lose all, all self-respect. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalamore. Alright, welcome to episode 186 of I Doubt It with Dalamore. I am your host, Jesse Dalamore, and sitting across from me, eager to get started so late in the day. My lovely co-host, Brittany Page. So late in the day. <laughs> Do you like the, the uh, my abrupt enunciation? Um, That's a new stylistic choice that I think I might be making. You know, I did not notice. <laughs> I didn't it's notice. Because you listen to about 12% of what I say. Uh, that's probably a little low. You know how they have those recording systems that they have like an automatic record. As soon as it hears something, mm-hmm. it starts to record. Mm-hmm. That's you, except it's only when you hear your name. That is true. When I say Brittany Page and you're like, no. uh, what, what was that? That's not what, what was no. everything before you said my it's name. It's when you say there's someone who's <laughs> eager to do something and then, oh, that's me. Because you always oh, say yeah. I'm, I'm eager to do the show. Right. That's me. Yeah, you're eager. All right. Eager to do the show is becoming the new. We have a great show for you today. Well, I almost said rare and to go, but I always say that. Yeah. We're going to have to start figuring out other things to swap in there. Well, why don't you do that? <laughs> I'll get right on that. I will get right on that. Right. Well, tonight was the night you've been waiting for for months and months. The Golden Globes. The Golden Globes. And don't say I've been waiting for them for months and months. The Hollywood event where they jerk each other off for what wonderful actors they all are. And boy, do they do that. Yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's a it's a masterful marketing tool is what it is because they they suck us into who's going to win. It's a big party. It's this, you know, extravaganza on TV. It's 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 genius marketing is what it is. Yeah, well, I mean, I enjoy watching them, particularly when Ricky Gervais is the host. And that was the case this year. Yes, or, you know, someone like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. I enjoy them as well. But Ricky Gervais is funny because he, he insults the stars. Yes, well... <laughs> Without any, it's not even subtle. No. It's just real, real good. Yeah, but like he said when he was on Conan a couple days ago, he said that he doesn't ever make fun of them for things they can't help, right? It's all things that they've done. Yeah, yeah, sure. He makes fun of their behavior, things they've actually done. So that's (laughs) that's fair, right? I think it's totally fair. And here's a couple of examples. Actually, I pulled a couple clips from the show this year, just this evening, that I thought were the most funny the most maybe tearing apart of other celebrities for their actions for their behavior and the first is him introducing uh, Matt Damon I almost said Damon Wayans (laughs) (laughs) and he makes fun of the fact that and we'll get to this in a minute that the 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 movie The Martian this year was nominated for best comedy Mm -hmm. which makes zero 
zero sense. No, especially when it's in there with like Spy and Trainwreck. I mean, it was right. it had funny parts, but right, he it was lumped in there with actual comedies. Yeah, just because you have a a, a funny line or two, or even a handful. Yeah, it doesn't make a comedy. Right. So he, while introducing Matt Damon and making fun of that particular categorization of the movie, he took time to poke fun at everybody's favorite, especially your humble host's favorite, Ben Affleck. Our next presenter is the star of the hilarious comedy The Martian. (laughs) Oh, he nearly died. Right. He's also the only person who Ben Affleck hasn't been unfaithful to. Please welcome Matt Damon. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, what's great about that is then Matt Damon came out and seemed there was some genuine laughter there. Yeah. Uncomfortable. Uncomfortable laughter. But still, there was laughter. Yeah. Kind of like, well, what am I going to say? He didn't come out incredulously. Yeah. Because everyone knows, well, those of us who are interested in movies and film and actors or whatever, and also hating on Ben Affleck... It is widely circulated amongst the rumor mills, some would say true, some would say just rumors, that Ben Affleck loves to cheat on his wife with the likes of Blake Lively. Well, that was rumor, And his fucking nanny. I just said it was the rumor mill. Okay, well, some rumors were more solid than other rumors, is what I'm saying. I'm not leveling accusations. All right. I am just distributing... As rumor, mm-hmm. the 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 charge through the rumor mill yes. that Ben Affleck likes to have sex with other women than his wife. That's all I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> well, the, the, the second clip that I picked involved Mel Gibson. Okay. Right. Listen, this is... Shush. Just shut up, really, seriously. Right. A few years ago, on this show, I made a joke about Mal Gibson getting a bit drunk and saying a few unsavoury things. We've all done it. I wasn't judging him, but now I find myself in the awkward position of having to introduce him again. Listen. I'm sure it's embarrassing for both of us, okay? And I blame NBC for this terrible situation. (laughs) Mal blames... We know who Mal blames. The Jews. (laughs) Listen, I still feel a bit bad for it, right? Mal's forgotten all about it, apparently. That's what drinking does. No... I want to say something nice about Mal before he comes out. Um, so, oh yeah, okay, here you go. I'd rather have a drink with him in his hotel room tonight than with Bill Cosby. <laughs> Please welcome Mal Gibson. <laughs> so, Mel Gibson proceeded to come out and then they got a little chippy back and forth. It was clear to me that Mel Gibson didn't find the humor. 
in this particular Ricky Gervais bit. Yeah, I think he tried to, but then Ricky Gervais asked him what sugar tits means. Right, because during in the arrest report, mm-hmm. when Mel Gibson was shit-hammered drunk, mm-hmm. screaming about the Jews starting all of the wars... He was being arrested by a female cop. Right, and he was calling her sugar tits. Yeah. It, it, seriously, it's 1945 inside of Mel Gibson's head. He, he really... He goes on these just stereotypical anti-Semitic rants like you think it's just it's a caricature that people actually believe that or it's these hillbillies who are in you know the the goddamn the KKK and these Aryan nation movements but no hi there I'm Mel Gibson and I think all the Jews start all the wars well I mean it's it's not that surprising that there's going to be people like that in the community I mean I think a lot of people put celebrities on this pedestal where it's they're so much better than us and they you know are so much superior than us but yeah. no they're just us with more money well, yeah however and power and the KKK and these hillbillies they don't live and work and have to to deal with Jews all the time Mel Gibson's in fucking Hollywood and there's a lot of Jews as actors in, in, in the entertainment business. It's a Jew-rich environment. So you would think that he would know them personally, intimately, and know that they're just regular people who are making a living and entertaining America and doing whatever. He, he has experience with these people. He knows they're not, they have some ultimate agenda to fucking start wars. It's just, I don't know, it's weird that he's... Such a, a radical, bizarre character about this topic. Oh, I, right? I would have a reply, but I don't want to continue this argument. I think it's weird to say, oh, someone who's racist, why would they be racist when they've had experience with a group? No, that, no, no, that, no, not experience with a group. Or knows them, ha- has friends that are, you know, all that. The, racists can be friends and still be racist. You know, yeah, they I, can. I, I guess. Maybe I'm just, I'm, it's a. An easy jump in a lack of logic argument that I'm making, but it, it it still baffles me. Yes. That's all I'm saying. Okay. All right. I'll give you that. All right. And we can move on. A gift from Brittany Page, everybody. <laughs> nice to see. Let's do move on. Let's cover a little follow-up. The Eamon Bundy-led militia group in Oregon. Ugh. Speaking of hillbillies. It's still, the, the standoff is still going on. So they got their snacks. Well. No, I, have they received the snacks? Well, have they not been eating for two weeks? I think they probably have foodstuffs. And they're only 30 miles out of town. It's not like they're hundreds of miles in the wilderness. They can go out to the local IGA or Albertson. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But there was a face-to-face meeting between the sheriff of the county that he's in. I think it's Burns County. Maybe not. And there was a face-to-face meeting, very brief face-to-face meeting between the sheriff and Eamon Bundy. Harney County. Harney County, that's right. Where the, he was just explaining to the sheriff that they pose no threat whatsoever. Well, I, I think that we are doing that, um, but that we also must continue to do that. And... Uh, I think that you we we pose no threat to to the community. In fact, there have been I don't know probably a couple hundred people at this point from the community, from Burns, 
and from the Shining Community that have come down into the refuge, that have spoken to us for many hours, most of them set free, and we've communicated. We, we pose no threat to the community whatsoever at all. It's time to get the schools open, let your community get back to living. We do not pose a threat. And that's and what I'm asking for. But, but that can be done without us leaving. Yeah, no, we're not the prohibiting problem, any of that. The problem I see with that, and I'm not going to argue with you, is that you guys have both told me yourselves that you can't guarantee the things that other people that come here on behalf of these things that they do. And so, on behalf of the citizens, I don't want it to come to you. I don't believe you do, but if it only takes one unstable person to show up, well, we know that. The state. I'm not afraid to go out of the state. I don't need an escort. Thank you. So ultimately, what was said there, especially when the the giant truck started fucking up the audio, the sheriff was saying, look, I know that you you say you're no threat. And first of all, let me go back. Eamon Bundy, he says to the sheriff that we're, I am no, we are as a group, no threat to you. And he starts to say to you, mm-hmm. like to the sheriff. Mm-hmm. And he he stops and he says, no threat to you. We're no threat to the community. I, I, that for some reason stuck out in my head. He made sure he didn't tell the sheriff they were no threat to him mm-hmm. because he's the law. He represents the government. Right. He so you think there to, was a little, there was something more to that. I, well, for to me, there was. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm just reading into it. I mean, that's a possibility. Um, I'm certainly not on the side of these nutters, although I do, I am familiar with the mentality. And some of the people that, that hold these same views, I don't hold in contempt in my heart. So I guess maybe that could be called some mild level of, of sympathy that I have for their for their belief system. I don't hold it, but... I don't know. However, what the sheriff was saying there when the truck got loud was, look, I know you say, I'm paraphrasing here, I know you say you're not a a threat to the community, but you've also told me you can't guarantee the behavior of some of these nutter butters that are showing up, some of these unhinged lunatic types who are eager to get into some kind of a firefight with government officials. So right. And those people are obviously going to be drawn to this situation because I mean, they're calling out for more people to come. Right. And who are they appealing to? You know, they're not appealing to rational people. So that's exactly right. I mean, it's it's scary people that I would be fearful of. Look, like I said, I am familiar with these types of people and they're not all completely unhinged Looney Tunes. However, there is a large element amongst this type of person, uh, a, a you know, an element of this of this mentality that is going to be an unhinged, deranged type of anti-government lunatic, and that's what we're worried about because we don't want an armed conflict. We don't want that. We want this to be peacefully resolved. And I believe a resolution doesn't mean a compromise, like, okay, here's what we're going to do, but uh, hey, you need to get the fuck out of here. So like turning off the power, like we've talked about, like some kind of other strategic, you know, hostage rescue kind of strategy um, 
you know, tear gas, the type of stuff that's going to get them to run for the hills to get out of the area, and then they could secure the area peacefully without, you know, arms, without bloodshed, without rounds being fired downrange. Right. So we're still waiting to see. Like I said, everybody keeps calling this a standoff, but for, for there to be a standoff, you there have needs to, have, to be another side. Yeah, another waiting. side pointing guns at the other side. <laughs> right. But right now, there's just them a bunch of yokels who are hungry for M and M's with their weapons holstered. M and M's and socks. And and socks. That's right. Mm-hmm. All right. Next up, on a far, far more serious and far sadder note, ISIS. We've talked about this. This is kind of an ongoing follow-up topic for us doesn't seem to be going away and probably will not for the foreseeable future or at least for the existence of this program. 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 Of the program. Thank you for correcting me, Mm -hmm. Brittany Page. You're welcome. It is being reported that an ISIS fighter has executed his own mother for apostasy because she was counseling him to leave ISIS. An ISIS fighter has executed his own mother before a public audience, an expat Syrian rights group said. The 20-year-old killed his mother in the Syrian city of Raqqa, ISIS's de facto capital, as hundreds looked on near the post office where she worked, said the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights. ISIS had accused her of apostasy after her son turned her in, the activist said. She allegedly had been, quote, inciting her son to leave the Islamic State. She wanted to escape with him and told him, quote, that the coalition will kill all members of the organization. This is, obviously, this is disturbing. I don't need to to be some kind of a, a sage commentator to analyze the situation and tell the audience that it is fucking sickening. What this does point to is it really rebuffs the claims of people like Glenn Greenwald, of C.J. Werleman, of Reza Aslan, these apologists, these regressive leftists who say that, no, no, ISIS, no, it has nothing to do with Islam. It has nothing to do with religion. It has to do with the low socioeconomic status of these young men. It has to do with the the horrible negative influence of U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East. So Glenn Greenwald, Reza Aslan, C.J. Werleman, you're telling me that this young 20-year-old man executed his own mother because of our involvement in Iraq and Syria? Absolutely ludicrous. She's not the only person that was killed this week, though. A journalist was also executed by ISIL, and they hacked into her Facebook. Isn't that right? Yeah, Islamic State militants hacked the Facebook account of a female journalist that they had executed, reportedly keeping her death a secret for months so they could pose as her to trap her friends and colleagues. ISIS killed a 30-year-old journalist in September, accusing her of spying for the Free Syrian Army, a moderate rebel group, but her death wasn't confirmed until three months later. During that time, the ISIS militants hacked her Facebook account to talk with her friends and gather information on other journalists and activists, according to The Independent. The Islamic State has claimed that the Syrian city of Raqqa as its capital and had brutally gone after the dissenters, publicly executing activists and anyone who resists their rule. It's alarming. This is the same group, by the way, that 
everyone's favorite president, Barry Obama, says is contained. They pose no threat. So this journalist, she had stayed in Raqqa after the Islamic State took over, posting messages on Facebook about music, the problems facing her city, and daily life under militant rule. When the Islamic State tried to ban Wi-Fi hotspots in the city, she showed off her dark humor on Facebook. Quote, go ahead and cut off the internet. Our messenger pigeons won't complain, she wrote. But the public posts appeared to stop on July 21st. So this this journalist, this young girl, is a, is a Syrian. She's from Raqqa. And when they took over, she decided to stay and report on what was going on. This is... It, it bothers me so much. And I, I don't... I, I, I lose words. I don't know what to say because it's... This is the threat, the imminent threat security-wise of our time. This is it. Al-Qaeda, while a threat, is not the same kind of insanity as this. Something we need more than airstrikes right now. And I'm not saying boots on the ground is necessarily what needs to happen on our part, but I don't care if it costs a great deal of money. We need to train and equip the forces of a an actual government to go in there. Not these weird offshoot groups that are going to end up being like the Mujahideen and turning into eventually Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. We need to arm the troops of Qatar and, 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 and governments over there, Jordan, who are willing to go in with boots on the ground and take care of business. Well, I think the most alarming part of this story is that they took over her social media, which she was using so heavily, and they were using it to monitor her friends, communicate with her friends, try to find out information about other journalists in the area. And that's what's really alarming is how strategic this was. Well, a grasp of the technology that they have. Right. The grasp of the technology and then also the strategy that they, you know, implement. It's not just that they're carelessly murdering people, although they're doing that, too, but they're going after people that they can use to further the cause. Absolutely. My main concern, I don't want to say main, I don't want to blow this out of proportion, but I have great concern for the fact that many Americans do not understand the gravity of the the purpose involved with ISIL. Right now, in Portland, Oregon, there is some some peacenik hippie, and I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I don't mean to be pejorative, but when you find out what he's going to do, you will agree. Some gentleman with good intentions plans to travel to ISIS-controlled territory to give a peace concert that he thinks will make a difference and change hearts and minds. Yeah, his name is James Twyman. Twyman? All right. It's a (laughs) tough name, everybody. Um, He's an author and musician based in Portland, Oregon. And he is planning a trip to ISIS-held territory in Syria later this month to help bring peace to the region through the power of a musical prayer concert. Quote, Uh. Performing the peace prayers in ISIS-controlled Syria will be the most important and dangerous peace mission of my life. 
So he he has a death wish. Quote, every peace mission I've been on has been dangerous, but this journey is without question the most perilous. And in my opinion, the most important. People everywhere are concerned about the escalating violence in the Middle East, especially with the rise of ISIS, but they don't feel empowered to be part of the solution. That is what we are about to change. Does he say exactly what he's going to do? Is there some kind of magic spell? Some words that he's going to incantation or something while he sings and plays his little guitar? It's a musical prayer concert with prayer, with peace prayers. Uh, mm-hmm. So when he goes over there and knows the dangers, knows the risks full well, as he said, he's going to go over there and he's going to get captured. They're going to want a ransom for him. His family's going to get involved lobbying the United States government to pay the ransom, to trade hostages, to do whatever to get him back. And who knows how many other American lives will be put at risk because of this idiot. This is really confusing to me because it reminds me of that that guy that went to North Korea to try to convert people to Christianity. Right, with the Bibles. And... You know, what are you what are you doing? Right. I know that you we all want to do something, right? We want the situation to be better, but it doesn't seem like a peace concert is what's going to be the right. solution. Bibles are going to have the same lack of effect as your goofy dirty hippie prayer songs. Come on. If you want to make a difference, go join the Marine Corps. <laughs> Or go to college and get a degree in international relations, learn how to fucking speak Arabic, and go work for State Department. You know? You know, it sounds like you you hate hippies. Right I don't now, hate which, hippies. What do, you, what do you have against hippies? I Come just on hate now. this hippie. Okay. Well, he he's just I trying to be- I can smell the patchouli from right here where I'm sitting. <laughs> he's just trying to share his loving heart with the uh, world, okay? No, no good. <laughs> Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like yourself by way of Patreon. You can contribute per episode as much or as little as you'd like, comforted by the knowledge that you're within your budget and helping move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you too would like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dolomore. All right. This Thursday, everybody, January 14th is the, I don't even know, the seventh Republican debate, sixth or seventh. Who knows? There's another Republican primary debate this Thursday, the 14th, and it will be hosted by Fox Business Channel, which means Neil Cavuto. Oh, really? I thought it was going to be Megyn Kelly and the crew. No, that is on the 28th. Neil Cavuto. Neil Cavuto and Maria Bartiromo. Huh. All right. <laughs> good name. <laughs> one good, of these days. Good, good Britney Page pronunciation one of, these, of a pretty good name. One of these days, I'll, <laughs> I'll do better. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> so, if you're interested in checking out our post-debate analysis and coverage, check out Patreon. And here's the other thing that I just found out. Uh, if you do sign up for Patreon, you don't just get from that point on all of the bonus content. You get access to all of the bonus content Ooh. from the very beginning. Well, that's nice. Yeah, so it's not just 
from then on. It's everything. Well, that's also helpful to know. Absolutely. So I do want to say one thing. This debate on the 14th is going to be better than the other debates because it's just going to be top six. Yeah, so good. Um, So it's going to be a little less hectic. A little little less. it's, It's bizarre when they have so many. It'll, it'll it, hopefully my goal, as I've said before, is to have a little bit more time for thoughtful answers. Because listen, Donald Trump up to this point has he he operates real well when he only has ninety seconds to spew the same shit over and over and over and over in his word salad way that he talks. Mm-hmm. If he has three minutes t- to give an answer. It's it's going to be very apparent that he doesn't have a fucking centella of a clue of what he's talking about. You know, that is a beautiful, beautiful point. Wow. Yes. I, listen, did everybody hear that? It is a red letter day. I wish I had some kind of a celebratory uh, noise to play. Uh, I, I just, I don't. That's how you feel when no, I give you compliments. Th- that's 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 the uh, oh boo! I don't have a celebratory no- noise to play. Mm, yeah, mm-hmm. so um, looking forward to that. That's going to be real, real good. Dollamocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So Marco Rubio is at it again, pandering to the Christian audience. Although in his in his case, I don't know that it's pandering. I think he really is just a nutter, sold out, on fire for Jesus kind of a guy. This this thirty second ad that I'm getting ready to play, that I'm getting ready to sub subject you to audience, is just. Marco Rubio not really talking about uh, policy or be- being a candidate for the presidency. It's just him just talking about just talking about Jesus. Our goal is eternity, the ability to live alongside our creator for all time, to accept the free gift of salvation offered to us by Jesus Christ. The struggle on a daily basis as a Christian is to remind ourselves of this. The purpose of our life is to cooperate with God's plan. To those who much has been given, much is expected. And we will be asked to account for that, were your treasure stored up on earth or in heaven. And, and to me, I try to allow that to influence me in everything that I do. I'm Marco Rubio, and I approved this message. Our God yeah. is an awesome God. He reigns from, from heaven, heaven above. God damn. Um, Are you kidding me well, with that? The most concerning part of that for me is when he said that this idea influences him. Every day. Everything every day he does. And yeah. everything, whatever he said. Um, uh, not something I really want to hear. Yeah. Well, that's, that's specifically the reason I didn't vote, did not vote for Mitt Romney, Marco Rubio. So if you want to be the centrist, if you want to be the, the palatable candidate, yeah, maybe, I mean, you, I mean, he's not looking for my vote, especially now in the primary, but goddamn, man, come on. You just, you're not making Jesse D very happy. No, no, it's it's alarming. I mean, it's it reminds me of, you know, some some of the atheists. I forgot which one. Maybe Sam Harris talks about I think it's George Bush um, talking about how he 
prays to God for direction. And, right. He talks to Jesus. And I think there's a famous quote w- that people use to make fun of him where he says that um, that's like his foreign policy or something. <laughs> like he it, in, it influences his foreign yes, policy. Absolutely. And that's oh, that's really alarming stuff. Yes. I mean, maybe not to believers, right? But to non-believers, which that's a growing population. That's a rapidly growing population. It doesn't. It doesn't sound good, you know. It's scary, is what it is. It's very alarming and scary. I get scared that he's going to concoct some idea, say Jesus told him to do it, and then execute it. Right, because that's what I mean. I mean, when there aren't gods that are talking to you, what is that? that you're hearing right. it's, it's you right. it's your own voice or it's something else there schizo effective hallucinatory kind of action going on well i mean we don't know but i'm saying it could be it very well could be i'm just saying <laughs> when he says it influences me i'm i'm left wondering well what is influencing you? right can you get a little specific for me sure that's not the only wacky thing listen here's the deal this is it goddamn bothers me, especially because this is a party I used to have some affinity for. We don't have stories like this every single episode, because if they were happening on the Democratic side, you can goddamn guarantee I would be bringing them to, them to you gleefully. Is this Ben Carson? Yeah, it's the Ben Carson thing. We, listen, every st- there's all kinds of stories every single episode that we could bring you of wacky shit that these assholes on the Republican side are doing and saying. But this one is particularly good. Ben Carson, while on the campaign trail, was given a speech at some elementary school, and he calls... You you explain it, because my head is going to fucking explode. Okay, so he was he's giving a speech, and he's talking about his life story, right? Oh, I was this kid who wasn't really performing, and now I'm a neurosurgeon. I'm awesome. So he was talking to these kids, and he says, as a fifth grade student, I was a horrible student. And he's talking to a large group of fifth graders, and they're all seated together in the bleachers, right? And he says, I was a horrible student. Anybody here in the fifth grade? And the kids are all going crazy, raising their hands. And then he says, who's the worst student? Uh, and what, of course, what do fifth graders do? They turn and point and identify the worst student in the fifth grade. Right. So the question was meant as a lead in to a self-deprecating story about how Ben Carson was once referred to as the dumbest kid in class. And, oh, now he's a neurosurgeon. But before he could do that, all of the fifth graders pointed to one kid. Right. Which is, I'm just thinking of this moment and I'm just so horrified for this child because how terrible is that? Well, listen, I wasn't the greatest student, especially about that age. Very, you know, doing my own thing, lazy turd, you know, kind of like I am today. Uh huh. <laughs> and uh, this would have been harmful. This would have been damaging, traumatic for me because if I was the shitty student and had no ability to be better, then all it is is, hey, look at the dumb kid. And that's terrible. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's He needs to be smarter and more responsible than to do that and possibly traumatize a fucking fifth grade kid. And the other thing Ugh. is, why is he giving a speech to a group of fifth grade? These aren't prospective voters. Does he think that this is his voter block, the fifth grade vote? He's got to really lock down the fifth grade vote, Brittany Page. Right. So I'm. It's <laughs> it's concerning to me because if you can't 
if, if you can't even talk to kids without offending them, how are you going to manage adults? It, it's <laughs> right. supposed to be easier to talk to children. Right, right. If you can't t- even talk to fifth grade children, 10 and 11 year olds without offending someone, how are you going to deal with volatile nuclear weapon possessing world leaders? So we do want to say what happened after the talk because he did track him down and he patted him on the back and he said, you're going to be a neurosurgeon. Okay. You'll do that too. Okay. So he tried to do a little repair. All he did was reinforce. Hey, remember how everybody said you're the dumb kid. I'm going to patronize you. Kids aren't fucking dumb. They know. Yeah. It's a bummer. They know. It's a bummer. Especially with dumb half asleep Ben Carson. He's not the most artful, skillful panderer. The kid was probably <laughs> more offended by the fact that he's being insulted by Ben Carson than anything else. He's like, hey, dude, if you're going to insult me, at least open your eyes all the way. Yeah, he's like, Are you, is this guy kidding me? Like, I'm being insulted by Ben Carson? No, no. Oh, so funny. At least we have nothing to worry about with Ben Carson anymore. That guy is done-zo. All Ish. Right. Ish. Ne- he's done-zo. The next... The next story that is just wildly... I don't like using the word offensive. It doesn't really mean anything. But it really just goes to show this story about Donald Trump kicking out a a peaceful, not screaming, all she did was stand up, a Muslim woman with a hijab on Mm -hmm. and a shirt. I tell you what, I'll uh, I'll let Anderson Cooper describe it. From the Trump event that just wrapped up, we've learned that a woman was removed from the rally. You can see she's, uh, she's wearing a hijab and a T-shirt uh, reading Salam. I come in peace. Our Jeff Jeleny is there. She joins us now. So, Jeff, uh, Jeff, what happened? Well, Anderson, I can tell you that this is something that follows Donald Trump most everywhere he goes, protesters. So this was an unusual situation here in Rock Hill, South Carolina tonight. A 56-year-old flight attendant who is a Muslim who lives in Charlotte. We spoke to her before the rally. She stood up during the rally when uh, Donald Trump was talking about Syrian refugees. She was not saying anything. It was a moment of, uh, of relative silence. And then suddenly some people in the crowd around her sort of turned on her. And some police came uh, forward, as you can probably see this video here, and escorted her out. And my colleague Jeremy Diamond spoke to her afterward. And she said that she was very surprised by this. She said she came to this rally with the idea of uh, allowing Trump supporters to see what a Muslim looks like. Of course, there's been so much inflammatory rhetoric in the last several weeks, and Donald Trump has called for a ban on uh, on travel for Muslims coming into the U.S. So she said she came to this rally in um, not far from Charlotte. Uh, just to see it, and mainly so Trump supporters could see her. But as you can see there, she made it about halfway through the rally, and she was escorted out. It was just one of several disruptions at this rally tonight. Of course, not as many as last night in Burlington, Vermont. But Anderson, it was an unusual moment, somewhat of an uncomfortable moment for someone sitting around her. And then some other people in this crowd uh, turned pretty ugly on her and uh, started uh, uh, shouting some uh, epitaphs and other things. So just one slice of an otherwise um, pretty boisterous Donald Trump rally here in Rock Hill. The reporter fails here. And let me tell you where is. And this is the problem, I believe, with with kind of the mainstream media news is that, oh, you're screaming just, oh, he wants to get across that They were epithets. Oh, terrible stuff. Tell us what he said. Yeah, you're I want to know. Table. 
I want to know. You're on. You can drop drop the f bomb on paid cable. If he's if they called her a fucking dirty Muslim, say that I want to hear exactly what they said, so I know the kind of terrible element that is running through supporting Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Don't just leave it vague. Ugh. Well, I'm sure that Elton John is not happy. <laughs> Rocket man. <laughs> I mean, Donald Trump has got to be getting a call within the next couple oh, of days, yeah, right? No kidding. But this story is is insane. This right. woman did nothing. She did nothing. She's standing up. She's not speaking. She's not yelling. Right? You always hear she's about not these. Even waving her arms. She's just standing there with her arms folded in front of her. Right. Very politely. And Donald Trump. You know, you hear these stories about him throwing out protesters all the time that are yelling, that are interrupting. Right. This but this week, woman was not. This week, well, I want to get back to this this one here. But this week, he was throwing people out into the freezing cold and having his security detail confiscate their coats. Before ejecting them from the building into the freezing cold weather. Um, Isn't that their property? Who knows? It's sickening. So Smirconish, who is a a radio talk show host and also a CNN anchor, a show host. He had a woman named Edie Hill, who used to be the morning zoo, the morning wacky, one of those idiots on Fox and Friends years ago. This is pre- that moron from Minnesota. What's her name? Carol Burnett? No. No. Uh, on on Fox and Friends. The the blonde used to Oh, be... Carol. On Fox and Friends? No, you're not listening. Elizabeth Hasselbeck. <laughs> no, before her and before the other one before her. The one who was Miss America or Miss Minnesota or whatever. Gretchen Carlson. Gretchen Carlson. Carol Carlson. Anyway, it was <laughs> way back. This is when I still lived in DC. It was like not in in 99 2000, 2001, she was there. Mm-hmm. Now she works for CNN in some capacity. And she's on with Smirconish. And they're talking about the optics of what this looks like. And if this is going to damage Donald Trump in the primary from people just watching the video of them escorting this completely peaceful lady out of the event. Look at the faces of those who are taunting her as she's leaving. And here's the question I want to ask you. Do the optics of this... Do they, because I look at it and I'm appalled, especially when she starts to walk out the aisle, she's escorted out of the aisle and people are getting in her face. But the question is, do the optics actually help Trump in no. primary, but it's primary season, Edie. I don't care. I mean, primaries aren't about Look at this. Check, check this guy out. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. However, what the heck is she doing playing the victim? You want to go and show people right. what a Muslim looks like? First, look what, at, look at what the guy age in the, do you in the live aisle, in? Blocking the aisle and giving her the thumbs and, down. And the visuals are bad. But if, you, if you're a protester and you go and you decide to stand up, every political rally now, they're looking for people who are going to cause issues, and those people are taken out. There were other people in there, and you can see them, with the same yellow badge on Muslim, and they weren't removed. Let me tell you something, Edie Hill. Wow. Freaking hayseed. In in political rallies, they're not necessarily doing that. A woman got up and was screaming at Hillary Clinton, not even six or tw- 12 paces away from her. And all Hillary Clinton says, you're rude. I'm not going to call on you. And that was it. They didn't <laughs> yank her out. They didn't escort her out, confiscate her coat, and throw her into the weather. Mm-hmm. They didn't. The people weren't booing and giving her the thumbs down and grown men intimidating her by getting right in her face. They weren't doing that. Or saying hateful things that we can't repeat on TV. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That you, we have to play kid gloves around. Mm-hmm. 
that's not the case. And it's not even the case in Rubio events or Kasich events or even fucking Ted Cruz events. It is this is an isolated thing that is specific to the environment that is created in the Donald Trump campaign. Well, and I'm not sure what this woman is talking about where she says, why is she playing the victim? What does that even mean? She was there doing a silent protest. She got thrown out. I haven't seen her anywhere giving an interview. It's the media that, you know, is presenting this to us. And the general public is just being outraged because, well, it's ridiculous and we should be outraged. So there you go. Sickening. She's not calling herself a victim. It's what we can see with our own eyes and what we understand. Right. Well, going forward, I guess we'll find out very soon because the Iowa caucus is on February 1st. This weekend, George Stepanopoulos had one of his men on the ground talking specifically about our favorite 538 predictions. We've also got this new analysis from 538. Our partners at 538, they projected uh, the race so correctly back in 2012, and now they've got the first projections for the Iowa caucus. That's right, George. Now, primary contests are notoriously hard to forecast, but 538 is for the first time this cycle, breaking down the chances each candidate has to win in Iowa and New Hampshire. They're doing it by combining all the latest polling numbers with data on how the various polls and endorsements have predicted or failed to predict results in the past. While Senator Ted Cruz and Donald Trump are neck and neck in the polls, as of today, 538 gives Cruz a 44% chance of winning the Iowa caucus. Trump comes in second with a 21% chance of winning. And here's a surprise. Based on recent endorsements and momentum in the polls, 538 gives Senator Marco Rubio a 20% chance of winning in Iowa. Jeb Bush, Ben Carson trail far behind to round out the top five. Now, over in New Hampshire, Trump leads by a wide margin in every poll, and 538 puts him as the clear frontrunner with a 34% chance of winning. 538 gives Rubio a 26% chance of winning in New Hampshire. They are trailed by Cruz, John Kasich, and Jeb Bush. And George, despite some momentum, 538 is giving Chris Christie only a 7% chance of winning in New Hampshire. Okay, John Carl, thanks very much. So, you know this had to be painful for Nate Silver. Oh, yeah. Who, you know, this whole time, I think, has been pretty hopeful that this Donald Trump fervor would go away. Well, that's their prediction as of right now. That will certainly change after the Iowa caucus. Right. But I mean, that's going to mix everything up. And there will be candidates who drop the hell out of the race and their support has to trickle down or trickle up, as it were, somewhere. Right. I'm saying just period, giving any sort of prediction where yeah. Donald Trump is in the right. lead is unfortunate for yeah, Nate Silver. For sure, for sure. But another article that 538 released has to do with kind of the polling and how polling nationally compares to polling in the individual states. Right. That it's national polling's worthless. Well, they say to win in Iowa or New Hampshire, it may be better to poll worse nationally. They say Ted Cruz is doing considerably better in polls of Iowa than he is in national polls. And Chris Christie is doing better in New Hampshire than he is with all Americans. Donald Trump is doing worse in both Iowa and New Hampshire than he is in the country at large. So the national polls and the state polls don't necessarily map on. Sure, sure. Well, also because... Each individual electorate in each individual state has their own pet issues that they're concerned about. Ethanol 
isn't a concern in California. It's not a concern in Nevada. It's certainly not a concern in New Hampshire. So that element of the Republican Party that really holds ethanol and farming as a a very serious issue for them, it doesn't play anywhere else. Right. So 538 says to trust the state polls. And they kind of give an example here from the 2008 primary campaigns. Mike Huckabee averaged 22% in Iowa in the second to last month before the caucus, but 8% nationally. He went on to earn 34% of the Iowa vote. Yeah, Yeah, he did. And then Rudy Giuliani was polling at 13% in Iowa and 28% nationally and finished with just 4% of the Iowa vote. (laughs) That's, That's what I'm saying. It's kind of a wait and see. We can talk and prognosticate. It's so unpredictable. Yeah, for sure. Especially this year because there's this element of the unknown that no one's ever experienced anything like Donald Trump. Right. So we'll see. There is something I want to talk about, about polling or whatever. We saw someone on Facebook this week who will remain unnamed, who is a little bit of a nutter, kind of a conspiracy theorist type, and they posted an article... Well, they liked an article. They liked well. They liked an article that showed up in in the feed, and the headline of the article was something about the main street media covering up these radical results in polling for Bernie Sanders. I'm assuming it's Bernie Sanders, right? Yes. Just based on the person who liked it. Uh huh. So, so go ahead and tell the give your experience. What happened when okay. you went to investigate this this wide vast conspiracy in the ma- mainstream media of covering up? These poll results. Yeah, it's so shocking. So, um, <laughs> That's sarcastic. You said it too true. Yeah, okay. Um, so this was from U.S. Uncut. Right. Super, super liberal. Yeah, and they said that the mainstream media was not reporting on this poll that has Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders essentially in a deadlock uh, in both Iowa and New Hampshire. Right. Now... No, hang on. Let, let, me, let me pepper you with questions to kind of illuminate the audience. Okay. So... USUncut.com mm-hmm. claims that the mainstream media is covering up these poll results. Yeah. Who who uh, who paid to conduct the poll? The Wall Street Journal. Oh, that's very that's that's not mainstream. NBC that's, News. Oh, yeah, that little startup uh, media agency. And Marist. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, yeah. So Okay, so so we've established that it's a mainstream media con- uh, uh, in cooperation with one another that paid to do this polling, mm-hmm. okay? And then uh, I'm assuming you clicked on a link in the article to go to go read and read about the polling data. Yeah, and it took me to the New York Times. Oh wow, that's not mainstream at all. Yeah, and then throughout the day, I saw Time reporting on it, <laughs> Huffington Post. Right, right. I'm reading a Wall Street Journal article about it right now. So we're going to add usuncut.com to our list of, if you want actual unbiased reporting, they're not what you should be putting on your Facebook wall. Well, it's just... Because they're agenda-driven. This this narrative of the mainstream media is hiding everything. Listen, right. you made this point beautifully a couple of days ago. Why do I keep complimenting you? I know. You? What's going on? Okay, so you said... Drink more of that wine right okay, there. Okay, you said... <laughs> In order to criticize the mainstream media, you need to be watching the mainstream media, right? Because right. if you're not watching or reading the mainstream media, what do you know that they're leaving out? 
It's exact. Well, you're just trusting usuncut.com. Right. How do you know? Why do I keep saying their website and giving them plugs? How do you know that they're not reporting things that you think they should be reporting on? How do you know that they're biased? How do you know that they're pieces of S? You know, how, how do you come to these conclusions if you're not watching it, if you don't know? Just, it's ludicrous. It's, it's conspiratorial craziness. So we'll go ahead and review this poll really quick. So Hillary Clinton holds a slim 48% to 45% lead over the Vermont senator among likely Democratic caucus voters in Iowa. Sanders edges the... Sanders edges Hillary Clinton among the likely primary voters in New Hampshire, 50% to 46%. Both leads are within the polling margins of error. Right. And also, it needs to be said that New Hampshire is the bordering state to this to Vermont, the state he represents in the Senate. So there is there's a reason there. And this article is bringing up the issue of Hillary Clinton's appeal to minority voters, which Bernie Sanders doesn't have as strongly. And we've you know well, five thirty eight has reported on that. Other- yeah, well, he also doesn't. There are there is a very small minority population in both of those states. Those are very white. Very white states, New Hampshire and Iowa, which would lead to, if you do any analysis at all, he's going to do better in those states than he does, let's say, in Georgia, where there's a larger black population. There's a larger minority population. So that is the poll that the mainstream media is, the lamestream media is trying to cover up. (laughs) You know, that's something they have in common with Sarah Palin. Yeah. They agree on the mainstream media. Right, of course. It's all, it's the extreme polarized sides of either party who are not good to go with the mainstream media. Mm -hmm. Ugh. All right. Speaking of the mainstream media, how do you like that, huh? That is a perfect, that is a a beautiful segue. Wow, Brittany Page full of compliments today. Uh, I almost said Brittany Page. That will make you happy. Confusing you for Megyn Kelly. uh, Oh, yes. Megyn Kelly had an anti-gay activist, more more accurately described probably as an anti-gay marriage, an anti-marriage equality activist. It is Brian Brown. He is the chairman, I think founder and chairman of President. Of the National Organization for Marriage. President just sounds better. They are the group that did the very scary Gathering Storm commercials, you may remember, from years ago, to which I did a rebuttal video on YouTube. You sure did. That if you would like to to see, you can just search Dollamore and and uh, Gathering Storm. Mm-hmm. And then it will <laughs> pop right up in your feed. Yeah, right up in your face. So anyway, Megan Kelly had this guy on, and he is... It is, I think, what's to come. This They're kind of starting to congeal their talking points and their legal strategy to challenge the marriage equality ruling from, from June 26th of last year. Brian Brown, who is president of the National Organization of Marriage. And we begin with Mr. Brown. Brian, thank you for being here. So how can the judge do this in the face of the Supreme Court decision saying gay marriage is, is legal, period, in all states? And I, I want to interject here that I, you think that Brian would know that Megan Kelly is a lawyer. Mm-hmm. She is well-educated, has a deep fundamental understanding of the role of the Supreme Court in our government, the role of the Constitution. She was a very successful trial lawyer right. for a long time. So it uh, doesn't seem to be the case, though. 
Well, it really it goes to your understanding of whether you believe that the Supreme Court uh, has the right to dictate to the rest of the country uh, key questions. Abraham Lincoln, when faced with a Supreme Court that issued the infamous Dred Scott decision, said that it did not. The Supreme Court is not our legislature. It is not every branch of government. And when the court issues an opinion, as it did in Obergefell, which goes against all precedent, which goes against all logic, uh, which even uh, Justice Roberts, Justice Scalia, Justice Thomas, in the dissent said that this is not the Constitution, then it's incumbent upon legislators, other elected officials, state government officials, to not just kowtow to the court or else we don't have a democracy kowtow? anymore. So it's The Supreme Court okay. has the final say on what the law is. That was established long ago in Marbury versus Madison. But here's my question to you. This is what Governor Huckabee said would and should happen. This is what he was pushing for, saying, to you, U.S. Supreme Court, you don't get the final say. I don't care about Marbury versus Madison. And he encouraged state officials to do exactly this. How does this unfold? I mean, aren't we going to have chaos now if states are individually allowed to decide which Supreme Court decisions they're going to comply with and which they're not? Well, I think you're misreading Marbury versus Madison. Again, you're essentially saying that Abraham Lincoln was wrong. Look, we've had horrible Supreme Court decisions that were not constitutional. In Buck v. Bell, we had the Supreme There's Court saying it was okay for that. You go back to the legislature and you ask them oh. to pass a law. That's not what happened. In the Fugitive Slave Act, uh, Wisconsin and other states simply did not comply. You do get to a point where if tomorrow the Supreme Court said uh, Congress no longer has the right to enact laws, everyone would look up and say, no, we're not going to obey the Supreme Court. So, of course, in the, in the general course of uh, law, the Supreme Court, when dealing with litigants, uh, makes a decision that's based on precedent. People give it respect. But if the Supreme Court makes a decision that is so outside the bounds of established constitutional okay. law, established precedent, like Dred Scott, like Buck v. Bell, like Obergefell, then there has to be resistance or you don't have democracy anymore. Interesting take on it. Brian, thank you for being here. We appreciate it. <laughs> that's ultimately telling him he's an idiot. You yeah. know what I mean? Whenever someone's like, oh, that's really interesting. Well, that's a, that's a, oh, your outfit's really interesting. It's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting haircut. Yeah, that guy is... It is, though, that is what's churning just below the surface right now of them trying to come up with grasping at straws for any type of legal argument that they can possibly make to violate the Constitution, to violate the order of the highest court in the land. Still. St continues to do so, right. Still trying. So next up, and this is we're going to end with this story before we get to famed taking care of business. Sean Penn just recently sat down with serial crazed murderer drug kingpin El Chapo for a, I think, 11,000 word interview sponsored by the ever dampening reputation of the Rolling Stone magazine. And I want to give the audience a little bit of flavor because we're going to I want to talk about who El Chapo is because we're going to read a few lines from this interview in kind of the essay or the explanation from Sean Penn about El Chapo justifying his behavior. But before we do that, I want to play a little news package kind of describing the latest history of El Chapo and who he is. 
This is the world's most notorious drug lord saying he's not responsible for the world's drug problem. What's more remarkable is that he's answering a question sent to him by actor Sean Penn. The exclusive interview in Rolling Stone magazine is just the latest strange twist in the saga of Joaquin Guzman, known as El Chapo, or Shorty in Spanish. He heads the mighty Sinaloa drug cartel, controlling nearly half of the illegal drug trade between Mexico and the United States. He's believed to be responsible for the deaths of more than 34,000 people. Mexican authorities say the secret interview with Sean Penn in part led to El Chapo's capture on Friday. Penn met with the fugitive cartel leader this past fall on a mountaintop in Mexico. He later submitted questions to him via text. Among the revelations, El Chapo says he got into the drug trade to provide for his family, that he hasn't used drugs for 20 years, and says he doesn't go looking for trouble, but simply defends himself. On Friday morning, trouble came to him, in the form of Mexican Marines who descended on the town of Los Mochis. They stormed this White House and found some of El Chapo's men, plus a stash of weapons, including a rocket-propelled grenade launcher. So that gives you a little flavor. That, that package went on. We'll, we'll link to it on the Facebook page. Um, also, since I'm talking about the Facebook page, 657-464-7609. Whenever we have a hot show, Brittany, I always forget to give the, the contact information. You can also email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Now, back to this. So, Sean Penn is doing this interview for the Rolling Stone magazine, which recently was completely discredited when they falsely accused a fraternity of rape, brutal rape, of a woman who completely fabricated the story. And it has now been found to be absolutely true that she fabricated it. So they are, they're really, they're skating on thin ice where it relates to a journalistic reputation. But I want to read some of this, these wild justifications and comparisons that Sean Penn is making in his in his article. So one thing that he says, quote, I took some comfort in a unique aspect of El Chapo's reputation among heads of drug cartels in Mexico, that unlike many of his counterparts who engage in gratuitous kidnapping and murder, El Chapo is a businessman first and only resorts to violence when he deems it advantageous to himself or his business interests. Again, 34,000 murders he's responsible for 34,000 and he's not just a oh yeah we just it's in a gunfight and they die these are people he beheads he burns alive he has their limbs cut off he buries them alive he's not oh he's a businessman and uh, you know if it serves his business interest he kills them where is that moral where is that ethical where is that justifiable I guess only in in Sean Penn's mind. Sean Penn continues, As an American citizen, I'm drawn to explore what may be inconsistent with the portrayals our government and media brand upon their declared enemies. Not since Osama bin Laden has the pursuit of a fugitive so occupied the public imagination. But unlike bin Laden, who had posed the ludicrous premise that a country's entire population is defined by, and therefore complicit in, its leadership's policies with the world's most wanted drug lord, are we, the American public, not indeed complicit in what we demonize? We 
are the consumers, and as such, we are complicit in every murder and in every corruption of an institution's ability to protect the quality of life for citizens of Mexico and the United States that comes as a result of our insatiable appetite for illicit narcotics. What is wrong with Sean Penn? What drives his crazy hatred for the United States? All things American, he hates, except for the fat stacks of American currency he's paid at the hands of American moviegoers when he puts out a movie. You know, this bums me out because Jeff Spicoli is one of my favorite characters. Hey, bud, what's your problem? Yeah, and, and this just bums me out. He starts it out with, and this is, you know, obviously we were just talking about the uh, liberal sentiment that is often shared of, you know, not trusting the media because they're covering up certain things and they... You know, right. blah, blah, blah. Right. He says, as an American citizen, I'm drawn to explore what may be inconsistent with the portrayals our government and media brand upon their declared enemies. So he's somewhat implicitly saying there that what has been stated about El Chapo might not be what is accurately. Right. It might not be what's happening. Right. I mean, the media might be cheating him and just making up these stories. Uh, That's what he's saying. Right. It, it is bizarre. And it also goes to, what the f- You're ripping my car. Let me calm down. <laughs> what is, what's Rolling Stone doing? Are they, have they jumped the shark? Did, did the, the rape case at the college campus, did that, did they jump the shark on that? Because they're, they're clearly either just stabbing for controversy to stir up publicity to sell magazines, or they are, They've seriously lost their soul. I don't know. So he goes on. I don't know how many quotes you want me to read. Let's do one more. Okay. Are we saying that what's systemic in our culture and out of our direct hands and view shares no moral equivalency to those abominations that may rival narco assassinations in Juarez? I thought that maybe they didn't happen. That's just the media ginning up controversy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, he, he's, he's always been a guy that I've had a problem with. And this really just, it kind of does it for me. This is disgusting. So I will say that I haven't read the whole thing. So maybe there's some part of this where, you know, he redeems himself and and something happens that's a miracle. But he he's pictured with El Chapo shaking his hand. And it says that this photograph was taken for verification purposes. Why do you need to shake the guy's hand? Also, this is the same Sean Penn who used to go down to Venezuela and hang out with old Hugo Chavez. And act like he was a great, wonderful man who took care of his people and wasn't a, you know, a ruthless killer. It's absurd. All right, let's move on before my head explodes. How about that, Brittany Page? Mm-hmm. Taking care of biz. Diabetes. Yeah, this is... Uh, this really is a taking care of biz story. Well, I mean, diabetes isn't taking care of biz. I guess I should have said Harvard. <laughs> Science. Harvard. Research scientists. Stem cells. All that stuff. Yeah. So scientists say they have made a giant leap forward in finding a cure for type 1 diabetes. Following- I'm Wilford Brimley, and I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes about diabetes. Okay. <laughs> uh- you look confused. Um... Am I saying it incorrectly? No. Diabetes? I'm, no, it's diabetes, <laughs> okay. like normal people say it. Okay. 
following a breakthrough in stem cell-related research. Researchers at Harvard University claim a cure for the disease could be imminent. What? After- Which disease? Diabetes. Diabetes. <laughs> Diabetes. Um <laughs> A cure for the disease could be imminent after they were able to create insulin-producing cells, which are almost identical to those found in the human body using embryonic stem cells. Described as a major medical breakthrough, scientists have recreated human beta cells in such quantity that cell transplantation is now possible, signaling an end to the daily insulin injections and health complications linked to type 1 diabetes. Diabetes. Type 1 diabetes accounts for around diabetes. 10% of all adults with the incurable disease and is the most common Wait. type of diabetes found in diabetes. childhood. So it's currently undergoing trials <laughs> on animals and other primates, and um, we'll, we'll see how things go. But I'm it's, Wilfred Brimley, and I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes about diabetes. Looking positive. You know that guy like lived in Caldwell, Idaho, right? I did not know that. Wilford Brimley, Mormon. Uh-huh. Diabetes sufferer. Diabetes. Well, that is awesome news. Seriously, a, an eminent, a possible eminent cure for diabetes is a, it's huge. That's, that's giant. I know lots of people who have the aforementioned malady, disease, mm-hmm. and it really does alter one's life. It's, it's a big deal. Yeah. So this is awesome. That is why yeah, awesome. the Harvard scientists are taking care of biz. Taking care of biz. You can also take care of biz. Other than listening twice a week, you can go to dollamore.com on the left-hand side there. There's both an Amazon link to go shopping to your heart's content for all of your diabetes supplies. Actually, they probably don't have medical supplies there. But there's also a link... To support the show where you can also find the Amazon and the Patreon and everything else. Listen, every little bit goes a long way. Every purchase that you make goes a long way toward helping support the show. Helping support the 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 ongoing projects that we have in, in, in the in the works, whether they be doing remotes, whether they be tracking down Donald Trump supporters, doing interviews. All of the great things that we have in store and we have planned for 2016. We appreciate you guys. We love you very much. Thank you for helping us move the conversation forward. It is awesome. This is going to be a great year. For Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It. He's like, hey, dude, if you're going to insult me, at least open your eyes all the way. (laughs) 